Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is a good one. It's the hole in the supply chain with Dima Adada. How's it going there, Dima? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Very, very happy to have you on my podcast. This is an awesome topic, and our good friend, Ryan Shriver, introduced us. He sent me a note, said, Joe, you have to interview Dima. So I'm very happy he did. Also, she's a Michigander, just like me, or Michiganian. I'm not so sure what they call us these days. (laughs) One or the other. Michigander. Yeah, that sounds too much like a duck or, or whatever, goose. No, I, I want to be a Michiganian, but I know, I think officially it's a Michigander. But anyway, Dima, please introduce yourself and your company. I'm Dima. I'm the founder and CEO of Get Set. We enable shippers to increase their throughput while leveraging their existing labor force. Excellent. So you fill in that hole in the supply chain. So when did you start your company? I started my company in early 2020 around March timeline. And we're based here in San Francisco. Right when the pandemic started. Exactly when the pandemic started. <laughs> Good timing there. I got to tell you, this is from my own personal history. I remember many years ago, I worked for my dad's engineering business and I was like 19, 20, I was still going to school. And he came up with this brilliant name, Automotive Industrial Design Services. And I was like, yeah, it's perfect. And we called it AIDS for short. And it was just as the AIDS things started going and getting worse and worse. And I remember my dad goes, do you think that name's going to be a problem? I was like, no, no, I think we're fine. <laughs> we were <laughs> fine for like another two months. And then we had to switch. I was like, great timing, dad. <laughs> so we had to switch to Lynch Engineering. But anyway, <laughs> I hope your timing's better. <laughs> yes, so, yes, I hope so. So Dima, where is your company Get Set located? We are in the San Francisco area. Very nice. Very nice. So you moved out of the cold Midwest to be out there in the kind of warmer California area. Yep. Yep. So Dima, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And give us a little bit of career highlights. Sure. I grew up just outside of Detroit. I'm a Michigan State Spartan. Go green. Go white. (laughs) (laughs) And shortly after graduating, we had the start of the economic crash. And I was told, Time to get out of Michigan. Oh, eight. Yep. Oh, six. So it was just beginning. And they were saying it's going to be really tough working for the auto industry and being from Michigan. It was like always a dream for me. I was wanting to work for the auto industry. And I decided Chicago was the next best place. Still close to home. <laughs> yeah, close to home. And I was fortunate enough to find Coyote Logistics. And I remember going in for an interview sitting down with the CEO and not realizing he was the CEO and he was a big Michigan fan, had brain, all this right. <laughs> U of M stuff up. And I was like, mm, not sure about this. And wasn't exactly sure what freight brokerage was when I took the job. Was that Jeff Silver? It was Jeff Silver. Oh, so you worked with the legend. Good I did. I did. Yep. And I took the job. I was like, I'm not sure I'm working in trucking. I'm not really sure what this is all about, but you know, it's a job. I'm thankful. And it ended up being amazing. I spent over 10 years with Coyote Logistics. Wild ride, I bet. How many people were there when you got there? I was one of the first 30 people working at Coyote. Oh, wow. When you left 10 years later, how many people were there? I think we were around like 1,500. Wow. Yeah, we had scaled quite a bit. I mean, I was there from the time we were taking orders down on paper and pen. 
our system was just getting up and running. So I got to, you know, really be a part of the development of the technology and see the business evolve from inception really to at scale. By the time I left, we had sold to UPS, stayed on for about a year after that. And then I had an opportunity come up. I had actually moved out to the Bay Area for my husband's job while I was at Coyote and an opportunity with Uber Freight had come up. So I actually joined Uber Freight at inception as well, which was cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to join both companies early stage. Obviously, Uber was a little bit different because there was this whole backing of Uber, the transportation piece. But we were ultimately our own entity at the time and starting our own tech stack and building up that business. So you Uber Freight, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So you weren't on the consumer side. No, Uber Freight. I actually came on through auto. So it was the self-driving technology. And that's what really drove me to make the leap. So it was really cool to watch that technology evolve, set up some of the first self-driving shipments that we had done with some of the enterprise shippers, Unilever, AB. So that was really cool. So wait, they're doing autonomous vehicles? Oh, no, there's a whole drama that ensued after that. They're no longer doing self-driving technology. So auto ended. Once the acquisition happened, it became part of ATG. And just recently, Uber had sold off ATG. So there's no self-driving technology at this point, I believe, still tied to Uber. I was driving around in Ann Arbor, and they've got all this construction downtown. And there was this street. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get down this street all the way. So I kind of turned at the last minute, and I followed this other guy who was doing the same thing I was. And I was like, yeah, this guy's smart like me. And I pulled up and there was no driver. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. So they've got, and I looked and it was some Russian company that's driving, self-driving cars around. I don't know what they're doing, probably picking up and dropping off people downtown Ann Arbor. I was like, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that they had somebody out here doing that as well in Michigan. I think there's a shuttle that moves people around in Ann Arbor that's autonomous. And yeah, I mean, Ford's does stuff out there. General Motors does stuff out there. And I think Google still has a presence there. Google moved their big technology center, which was one of the bigger ones from Ann Arbor to Detroit. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so you worked at Uber. Where'd you go after that? So I spent some time consulting actually for some asset-based companies and some digital freight brokers, trying to really nail down exactly what I wanted to start. I had kind of an idea of where I was heading and I was looking to validate exactly like what I was going to focus on. And working for an asset-based provider was really eye-opening to understand this problem I was looking to solve. So you were working kind of as a consultant or? Yeah, just as a consultant, just helping scale brokerage, sales, et cetera, but really getting to see the operation from planning drivers, appointment scheduling, and it was actually a flatbed company. So it was even more interesting because the dynamic of flatbed is a little bit different than your general full truckload. Right. So you saw a hole in the supply chain. What was that hole? (laughs) Yeah, I had been seeing this same issue occur throughout my career. And it was the friction that would really occur between transportation and the shipping location. So Typically, we were working with transportation management teams of whoever our customers were who are tendering us our freight. And then we'd go speak to a different team or location to schedule our shipments. And what I was finding was that there's just this gap that occurs in terms of communication and even transparency and coordination between the truck 
and the warehouse. And that's where I started to dig in. I wanted to understand why are shippers or warehouses really having trouble reacting to some of the real-time feedback that they were receiving. Right. And the problem, though, I mean, like all supply chain problems, the solution is always upstream. So we're trying to solve for pickup being on, you know, if I say I'm going to be there four o'clock and you can't load me at four o'clock, that's a challenge. But the problem isn't going to be solved at the dock or even with software. It's going to be solved in the warehouse, right? Correct. Correct. So I started to kind of peel back the onion and try to understand what's happening at the warehouse level. Why is there so much friction? Why are we so static in the way that we look at an appointment? So if it's set for 12, why are we not able to move the appointment up or back almost in real time? And so I started spending more time with shippers and trying to understand, can we be more dynamic at the dock door? And it was a constant, no, well, we can't. Okay, so why can't we? What are some of the challenges we're having? And it went from really understanding that this gap that was happening was between planning and execution. So we were told we need to plan this way, and we don't know how to truly deviate when it comes to execution. And some of this was led by the fact that there wasn't enough data to help them make effective decisions. So there were difficulties in making decision and knowing which decision is the right decision and why. Some of it is tribal knowledge, or we just do it this way because this is the way we were taught, and we don't know any other way to do it. When we were prepping, I was calling that not so much tribal knowledge as a myth. Right? Myth, yeah. That, that I can get this order for this customer, it was a regular order. I can take it off shelves, put it on pallets, wrap it in a half hour. And maybe the reality is it's an hour and a half. So and then I think the gap we're talking about is from the time there's an order that hits the warehouse to the time it loads. I don't know this, but I'm throwing out there, there's probably two measures. Somebody said, hey, we received the order on January 3rd at 4 p.m. and we shipped it January 5th at 2 p.m. So there I measured it, no gap. But the problem is I can't fix anything from shelf to load if I don't have data on it. Correct, correct. That's the whole. <laughs> yeah, and the way that it's looked at is, you know, the time that it's stored, but really where shippers are making their money is getting product in and out of the warehouse. So what's happening? Throughput. <laughs> yep. Throughput. How do you actually measure what it's taking your labor force to actually get that product back out the door? And is it product placement? Maybe, but is it actually the amount of work that it's taking to get that product back on that forklift to the dock door and out again? Is it taking 30 minutes or is it, like you said, taking 45 for an hour? And have you planned that accurately? And is that product actually creating a larger bottleneck for you because you were not able to plan the actual time required to get that product out the door. Right. And I think when we were prepping, you said it might happen in 30 minutes in a perfect world, but when you put three or four other orders out on the floor at the same time, and maybe with shared resources like a forklift driver, now all of a sudden I can't get the driver to move something for me. So now all of a sudden I'm gone from that 30 minute, which was the best case scenario, to an hour and a half. Correct. Correct. And meanwhile, there's a driver sitting in his truck outside our facility cursing us. <laughs> cursing and probably at a point where they may be starting to charge you detention fees because they've been held up longer than their allotted time frame. Right. When we first started using EDI to have updates, there was like just a few. <laughs> so there was an EDI that we told the carrier to pick it up and here's where they picked it up. Woohoo, we have visibility, two points, right? And what we realized is that wasn't enough information. It was 
two data points, not enough. And it's now I think we're doing the same thing. Well, same things kind of happens in some warehouses where from the time the order hits the warehouse to the time it hits the dock, I don't have enough data points. That's true. There are not enough data points. There's not enough, even a baseline of what it takes your labor force on average to get shipments in or out of the warehouse. How long does it take a load truck? How long does it take to unload a truck? Why are there different variables associated with it? Is it driven by the product type, the skew, the forklift, the forklift driver? There's a lot that actually goes into that between planning and execution that actually impact the efficiency in which we're turning product over at the warehouse. Right. I've said this in the past. When somebody asks what a key performance indicator is, I'll say only the best metrics grow up to be a KPI, right? So it's not everything. It's just the important things. And another thing I will say is KPI is the things that upset the boss or upsets the customer. Those are the things I measure. Not everything, just the stuff that upsets the boss or upsets the customer. So when we don't get something out of the warehouse in a timely basis, we upset everybody. I mean, the company, the warehouse, I mean, the shipper is upset, right? The boss is upset that that took so long. The carrier is upset because they sat out there not being able to use their truck. The driver is upset. The end customer is upset. If there's a broker involved, he's upset. It's all bad news. Yeah, yeah. And there's implications that go up and downstream. The supplier has expectations of you getting the product in and out of that warehouse to meet their customers' needs. Just lost efficiency. I even just spoke about the carbon emissions, just driven by the fact of shippers potentially being inefficient and getting those trucks moved, and they're sitting outside idling. The impact goes far and wide. Yeah, not just idling, potentially missing another pickup and driving home empty. Exactly. Yeah. Empty miles. Or maybe having to go 50 miles out of his way to get his next load when his another load was the same zip code. Now he's got to go two zip codes down because we couldn't get him loaded in time or unloaded in time. Goes both ways. We're covering both inbound and outbound. So talk about the problem going inbound. So I understand the problem going outbound is the execution doesn't match the planning. Talk about the other way. What's the problem when it comes to me and I've got trucks coming at me and I got to unload those? What's the problem on that end? So we see a lot of different things occur. We see many trucks that show up ahead of schedule and you have this line of trucks out front. Which truck do you take first? How do I make these decisions? And then this is creating issues there. One industry we focus on is food and beverage. I worked very closely with the grocery industry. So we would bring product in at two or three in the morning. It would be broken down, staged, and out back to go to the retailer by 8 a.m. So missing an inbound shipment or not being able to manage this handoff between inbound and outbound was actually very detrimental to the retailer. They'd ultimately have to go source product in their local market, becoming very costly. Well, yeah, and you just took a day off of something that could go bad at some point. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I've had to pay claims because it's no longer a valid product. It's expired or it doesn't have the quality that we want and we don't want to put it on our shelves. I had the people from Lineage Logistics on here and they were with Turbo and they were talking about one of the challenges they believe, and Lineage does a ton of food, obviously. They're yep, probably the biggest. Of mine. Oh, all right. So you know them very well. Probably the biggest and the best at that. And one of the things they talked about is the ultimate, the most wasteful thing you can do in the supply chain is get to the end and throw something out. So 
if I made something that's going to go bad at some point and I say, yeah, I got to the end of the supply chain, it went through 16 weeks of processing and being driven and stored. Well, maybe not 16 weeks, but it's the most expensive time. And now you're throwing it out. Not only is it a waste of resources, but also it's just unnecessary just because you couldn't plan what you're doing in your facility. So again, talk about that inbound. So when I'm bringing a truck and I can't get it unloaded in time, talk about the problems there. So yeah, there's obviously spoilage when it comes to food. We talk about lost opportunity, lost sales. I know facilities that if you don't make it in on time, even if you're bringing product in, you cannot reschedule for an entire week. They're so backed up. In automotive, where I'm from, I just know they scream that you cost us a million dollars an hour. We're if you shut down you. production, right. I mean, for automotive, <laughs> as a broker, it's like, no, thank you. We don't want to touch that. We don't want anything to do with it because the fees are just crazy, right? If you shut down production, that's major. And that's the just-in-time nature of where we think that being able to coordinate more in real time is really beneficial to the warehouse, being able to plan against these deviations. So this hole (laughs) that we just talked about, so there's obviously cost across all these. There's additional cost to the warehousing, the shipper, because they couldn't get something out. There's obviously maybe some additional cost to the driver. Even if they don't charge you detention, you've still wasted their time. And you and I talked about this when we were prepping. I swear, I think we're going to get a Yelp for trucking at some point. And they're going to say, you know what? I love going to Dima's location because Dima gets us unloaded and loaded quickly. That is a fantastic, I give her, I don't know if it's four stars or five stars there, but I give her five stars because she gets it done. And Joe, I don't want to go to his facility because they're slow. What they say they're going to do, they seldom do it. And it costs us extra money. Even if it's not detention, you're wasting my time. And also how you're treating the driver. And again, the ultimate insult to the driver isn't somebody being short with him. It's making him sit. (laughs) And not telling him what's going to happen next, right? It's just like they feel like they're blind to what's happening on the other side. It's completely disrespectful. We wouldn't do it. If a salesman showed up to see you at 10 a.m. in the morning and you said, hey, I'll be with you right after lunch. I know we had an appointment. You'd be like, I'm leaving. I don't want these people as a customer. Yet we do it to drivers like it's normal business. Because we can't manage our own warehouse. Yeah. I mean, we have shipper of choice, right? The term gets thrown around a lot. How do we become more attractive to our trucking companies? The reality is if you're not a great shipper, your transportation provider is probably baking in the cost that it's costing them to do business with you. I had one customer that insisted on every LTL shipment being, it's not an estimated time, it's guaranteed because it's on there, right? So they kept making us expedite stuff that didn't ship. And then after a while, I was like, all right, we just raised the price across the board 1% because yeah, we'll eat all those expedites. Fine. But you're paying for them. Yeah. (laughs) And then there was a little extra left over, by the way. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) That was for hurting my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Because it just takes time to go recoup and go through that process, right? If you have to do expedite, there's more work that's done behind the scenes to make it happen. So talk about a solution. Well, I know this is what your company get set is there to fill this hole in the supply chain. And again, when I talk about this hole, what I'm thinking, Dima, is from the time I make an order to the time I get paid, that's how a supply chain person looks. We have all sorts of visibility from the time it gets picked up by the trucking company to the time it gets to your customer. And I have been the ERP manages up from the order all the way till it's made but I think there's some gaps in what we measure in the warehouse. So that's the hole. So 
fill that gap for us, Dima. Yeah, we are really focused in on understanding the amount of work required at getting product out the door, getting it onto the truck, right? Or inbound and placing it. Shippers or warehouses are bringing on customers or have new vendors that are coming through all the time. And there's a general idea of the amount of work that it will take. Where is the product going to be placed? Do we have enough space? What are the estimated touch points of this product? But what they're not measuring is actually what is it taking our forklift drivers to get that product in or out of a truck? What's the average duration? How are we looking at how we plan the movements within the warehouse to the truck? What is the appropriate number of orders that we take in at any given hour? And how do we stagger them where we're not creating an additional bottleneck within the warehouse, but also with the transportation provider? Do we take all of our complex loads at 9 a.m.? Do we just not focus on all orders are created equal? Or do we start to understand the variables that are associated with particular orders or customers or products and better plan the labor workflow throughout the day? to make that piece more efficient, to reduce that bottleneck that happens to build over time throughout the day at the warehouse between transportation and distribution. So let's just say I'm trying to get stuff. I want more stuff to leave my facility because that's how I get paid. I don't get paid to have it in my facility. I get paid to move it to my customer. So I want more throughput, more stuff out the door. Is that throughput driven by demand from customers or are you trying to drive it from the warehouse and say, look, we want to get maximum orders out every day? So demand is currently there. It's a matter of one, there's not enough labor, right? We're having already this labor shortage. So how do we get the most out of our existing labor? How do we better plan the workflow of the day of how we are going to move these shipments in and out to get the most out of our labor? And that's a function of, as I was mentioning, like kind of how do we pair together the right calculation of how many inbound and outbound and why are we taking these particular orders at these times? How do we make our schedule more smart based off of these KPIs and data points that we're collecting in order to be able to process more pallets per hour? Whereas right now, many facilities operate as I'll take X number of inbound, X number of outbound per hour, and all things are ultimately created equal. We're going to take one appointment per hour, but what really happens is Some appointments require additional time to get loaded or unloaded, or some require much less time. And today it's like, oh, it's a wash, but it's not a wash because what's happening is that you're not really getting a full understanding of how these orders affect one another to be handled at the same time. Right. So when we were prepping for this, we talked a little bit about some things that kind of don't always get captured here. And so I'm just thinking from a driver's perspective. So I'm supposed to be there at your facility by four o'clock. Let's just say I get there five minutes early. And so you measure some of these things. So you measure when I was assigned a dock door, right? Yep. So I could lose 15 minutes or half hour or an hour easily right there, not being assigned. So I don't know where to go. So I sit in the parking lot. And then that work should have been ready when I got there at four o'clock, right? But potentially it's not. So I lose another little bit of time because that stuff wasn't ready for me. So you didn't give me a dock door, right? And then loading time, maybe the warehouse is not, it usually takes about 30 minutes. Maybe it takes 60 for this load. Me as the driver, I lost two hours sitting here. And maybe I'm not going to charge you detention, but I still lost time. What I would expect for myself, and I would expect this for my driver, is I'm supposed to be there at 4 o'clock. I want to start getting loaded at like 
401. <laughs> like, I mean, we can exchange some pleasant conversation for the first minute and then load me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are measuring really from the time a driver checks in in each stage till the driver is released. And in order to understand where the bottleneck is occurring and if it's tied to product type, type of forklift driver, type of forklift itself, if it's due to the way that we staggered appointments earlier in the day, if we're taking extra work-ins, but we're identifying where these bottlenecks are happening so that we can put a process forward to start to alleviate that, to prevent them in the future. Nice. So this is a software and typically the people buying it are warehousing people? Correct. Yep. We work with the warehouse level. And I know you're working right now with truckload. Will eventually you end up doing LTL and small parcel? Yep. We're moving across. We do a little bit of the LTL and it's a little different animal. <laughs> it's a different animal. It's not so much tied to a specific appointment time, but there is a value add and understanding how that works within your workflow for the forklift drivers, et cetera, to work them in in between appointments. So how do we look at that as well? And then e-commerce, we're already digging into the inbound for e-commerce distributors because that's typically on the full truckload and then looking at what that will look like from an e-commerce online. So using your software, ideally, the stuff is going out the door faster. So it's better for drivers, better for carriers, better for brokers and the ultimate receiver. What about the people? And obviously, if I get more stuff out the door in a given day, that's good for the warehousing company or the manufacturer. What about the people in the facility? Are they just working way faster to get all this done or? I think they're spending less time problem solving or frustrated with lack of direction, waiting around for an answer rather than just. Waiting for the forklift to come over and move this. (laughs) Or just, you know, what do we do next? Okay, this is happening. We're waiting for somebody to respond to an email or a phone call. How do we kind of give them kind of like a prescriptive next step in the instance of these particular disruptions. So instead of, it drives a lot of disruption and frustration because sometimes those end users at the warehouse don't have the ability to make the decision. So they're waiting on others to make the decision for them. The people who typically get yelled at, like in warehouse, like, hey, get my stuff out here. They're the ones who, it's where the rubber meets the road, but they don't have necessarily the tools in place to help them get their job done. And what this keeps coming as a recurring theme on my podcast is, warehousing work, first off, it's hard to recruit anyone to do it because there's a lot better jobs out there. We have to turn those people in those facilities into knowledge workers. Because if you say, look, I'm part of the supply chain, I'm a knowledge worker, that's a lot different than saying, I got a strong back and I lift boxes and I don't bitch too much when they pull me in 20 directions. (laughs) Yeah. And some of that frustration actually comes from the fact that their managers don't have the bandwidth to sit and train. And so they get so they don't frustrated. Even know either. Yeah. They don't have the information. And again, it's just we're making decisions because this is how it was done by the five people prior. And this is how we're going to do it. And the lack of training and even just the ability to allow them to make decisions on their own isn't happening. So they get frustrated and feel like they're not given the tools to get the job done. Right. Here we are in May of 2021, and we're kind of getting towards the end of the pandemic, knock on wood. But you think about how things changed during the pandemic. So all of a sudden you have skyrocketing demand and more work and also fewer people in your facility. And so that was obviously unusual, hopefully once in a hundred years. But What is not at all abnormal is, hey, we lost two customers and gained three. And you said, well, I think we can manage that. I think we're okay, (laughs) right? And 
we don't understand what it's going to take to get that stuff out the door. And we figure it out kind of anecdotally and probably with the high turnover we're seeing in these facilities, it's not even that great of anecdotal information. Yeah. I mean, turnover has been really high lately. I think that that's true. We're seeing the turnover of customers, but then it's a whole new learning curve of how much do we actually need from a resource perspective to support these businesses and the flow of their product in our existing flow with our product. How do we learn from what it's going to take and plan preemptively, not while you're in the thick of it and realizing it's just not working? Right. And you know what? You mentioned being given good direction as opposed to having to walk an extra mile every day walking over to the manager's office and saying, hey, (laughs) this is two boxes short or we're missing a pallet or what should I do next? Yeah, that's a lot of wear and tear. So, Dima, so you've got a software that will kind of fill in that hole, which is really starts with from the time you get an order to that warehouse that say, hey, this has got to ship to the time it loads. And ideally, you're going to make more stuff go out of the facility And which is going to be better for the carrier, better for the driver, hopefully better for the shipper and the receivers too, because we're getting stuff out when we said we get it out. And, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast, as you know, about freight stuff where we're trying to be adjust outside of the facility. But the solution is usually upstream. I mean, you can adjust for it, but we're still at some point getting drivers to locations that can't load or unload them. And you can't solve that at the dock and just be solved upstream. Yep, that's exactly right. I couldn't solve it from the transportation side, and that's why I wanted to come at it from the shipper side at the ground level. Nice. So you switched sides on us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dima. And you left Michigan, too. Way to go. I love Michigan. (laughs) It's near and dear to me. Yep, yep. We were talking uh, about food and moving to San Francisco. You missed the Middle Eastern food. I have two daughters who grew up eating Middle Eastern food. By the way, I know I look like a pale face and I'm Irish looking, but I grew up in Dearborn and my parents used to drag me to eat Middle Eastern food as a child, which I hated, but I grew up on it. <laughs> my kids grew up on it. They both live out of state and they go, nowhere else has good Middle Eastern food other than Michigan. And I'm sure someone will say otherwise, but I can agree to that. <laughs> yes. So anyway, summarize this topic for us. I know it's a big one, but please summarize. Yeah, there is opportunity to really improve warehouse labor utilization and increasing throughput by better planning and understanding really what goes into handling particular shipments, product, SKU, and the behaviors of suppliers, carriers, and customers to better improve the experience for all of the stakeholders involved really creating a more fluid process of shipping product and getting it from end to end. So we're focusing on filling in that hole, particularly at the warehouse, and how do we get product in and out the door more efficiently to really help have a positive effect, a greater effect on the supply chain as a whole. Nice. And again, we always talk about we're trying to digitize the supply chain. I think the guys from picking up in the freight business, transportation management systems, supply chain systems, they've done a great job. And companies like Turvo now are saying order to cash. And I think that's where we need to get to. And this is an area where it just feels like it does not have enough attention from the freight tech folks like you. So good deal. So tell us a little bit more about your company, Get Set IO, but and you better tell us how to spell that too. Yes, it's G-E-T-S-E-T-T dot I-O. 
good. Very high tech sounding. <laughs> so yep. tell us what's going on over there. So we are actively working with shippers and helping coordinate with the transportation providers to better schedule and manage at the dock door, looking at improving the throughput and utilization of active labor at the warehouse level. Nice. Now, does your system connect also to like, let's just say a 3PL, could you integrate with their software? We're actually actively working on our open API for the transportation providers to eliminate the manual entry. Again, coming from the transportation side, I know how cumbersome that can be. So we are looking to create that integration to eliminate that data entry requirement. And so on the other end, do you connect to WMS? WMSs, yep. Very nice, very nice. So who do you serve? Well, you serve warehousing people. Do you sell it to anyone other than people who are the shippers? We're focused specifically on shippers, anyone that's moving full truckload shipments. We like food and beverage just because we understand the nature of the speed in which we have to get product in and out the door. But we work with all types of shippers, anyone that's looking to reduce the bottleneck at their shipping location. So any upcoming events for you guys? Yeah, we're going to be speaking at the Retail Supply Chain and Logistics Expo in Las Vegas here in, I think, September. So if you're there, come check us out. Yeah, it's going to be in person. (laughs) I feel like I'm ready to get out. So yeah, we'll be there. We'll be speaking at the event and we'll also have a booth. So if you're there, come out and check us out. And say that one more time. Retail what? It's the Retail Supply Chain and Logistics Expo. What I'll do is I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people who are heading over there can make sure they see you. And then I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to GetSet.io so people can reach out and talk to you. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is an interesting new addition. I love that I see the people over at BoxLock have created something where you can connect the rest of the supply chain to physical stuff. And this is kind of doing the same thing. I love the idea of, and like we talked about Baton IO, I love the idea that there's these new innovations that are kind of outside of trucking. We've done a good job and we're still doing a great job on that, but we need to just keep extending more innovation into these areas that are notoriously difficult for us. Yeah, it's a fun time to be a part of the space. Yeah, these aren't easy problems to solve. I mean, you know, we talk about the problems, but if they were easily solved, we wouldn't be talking about them. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much, Dima. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 